0: I'm J-Mac. And I'm Jess. And you're listening to Basecode Podcast.
1: All right. Cool. Back for the final episode of this miniseries.
0: Ultimate episode here. I think I called the last one penultimate, which is such a fun word. Yeah. Last one was the penultimate. Just tweeted this. We're always a week behind. So this one's going to drop next week, which we're both going to be at Laircon, right? Yeah. That'll be Cool.
1: Getting pretty uh, excited about the uh, conference and nervous about being 24 hours away from home for like 10 days Oh, <laughs> on my own. Is it just
0: you or are you doing like a vacation out of it?
1: Just me, but to make it a bit more worthwhile, I'll be there for a full day before the conference, mostly just to recover from the 24-hour flight. Sure. And then I'll be there for like three days afterwards just to explore New York City.
0: Okay, cool. I used to live in New York, so I'm glad to offer you uh, some suggestions when we get there.
1: Oh, that would be awesome. Yeah, for sure. And we're
0: going to do an outing, I think, after the conference on Thursday. Of course, it'll be open to, to anyone, but right now I'm coordinating it with the merry band of shifty coders that are part of the Laravel shift community. So. Awesome. I'll be there. Cool.
1: And how about you? What have you been up to?
0: Well, uh, starting to get full gear into this project now, which I think I'm probably safe to go ahead and start talking about part of it. So the first part is going to be an automated shift that generates tests for your existing Laravel projects. So we all know testing is something we want to do, but the reality is a lot of us don't have our projects tested or, or tested um, even halfway or fully. So this is just something that's going to help with that getting started barrier, just get you over that hurdle, get some test generated, get some momentum built so you can actually kind of get in there and, and start filling in the blanks.
1: Very exciting. And the audience can't see it, but I can see some exciting stuff on the whiteboard behind you that I won't share. That's right.
0: <laughs> yep. Yep. Getting exciting, getting a battle plan. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah. So, all of that will be public sooner or later. But again, the shift is the first step in that direction. And uh, it's just an area that, that I've always been passionate about. And who knows? Maybe we'll continue on with like a testing mini series or something.
1: That would be awesome. I love testing. I love talking about testing. Testing is great.
0: Cool. Well, today, though, and to finish up this mini series, we are going to talk about symmetry, which is also one of the biggest level ups that I've had in my programming skills if you will. And uh, let's jump in.
1: Sounds good. So this is a chapter where I am really still trying to work on. I really don't feel like I've kind of got it yet. So it's one that I'm still very actively, you know, trying to hone that skill. So I'm hoping I might learn something from today as well.
0: Sure. And honestly, full disclosure, like this is one that's going to take you a lifetime. Like this is like finding your art. This is just the very, very subjective side of it, but it, it has its place in kind of a actionable practice, despite it being this kind of ethereal, subjective type of tendency, I guess, if you will. But yeah, I mean, symmetry is just, in its simplest form, it's that elegance of code. It's when we look at a piece of code and we're just like, wow, it has a bunch of different names. It has elegance or, or beauty or uh, it's concise, or it's readable. It just has that last bit of readability. Even if it's dealing with something complex, it's just like this harmonious piece of code and everyone anywhere agrees like, wow, that's nice. You know, It's not a fancy one-liner, right? It's not uh, something you don't understand. So you're just thinking, oh, that's awesome, but I don't get it.
1: No, it's almost the opposite of that because it makes hard concepts understandable.
0: Yeah, approachable flow you know, beautiful, symmetrical. All these things are, are kind of wrapped up in symmetry. So yeah, it's it's just this really fun underlying principle that does tie all of the other practices together. So yeah, maybe let's see if we can kind of make it again a little bit more actionable by talking about some of the various levels of it.
1: Yeah. So all right, let's talk with the levels then. What's the first level?
0: So in base code, I kind of broke this down into three, but the original principle of symmetry comes from Kent Beck and the book Implementation Patterns, which I know I've mentioned several times along the podcast, and and I also mentioned it in base code, but it's just, it's one of those dense books, just like refactoring, just like clean code, you know, all of those are mixed into this, but Admittedly, Implementation Patterns is probably one I come back to a lot, because it just has these little perfect principles and perfect little one-line snippets within the book that really just set me on that path to, again, writing cleaner code, writing more readable code, and getting to a place where ultimately I wrote base code. But from Implementation Patterns, Kitbeck defines symmetry in code, is where the same idea is expressed the same way everywhere it appears. So you could look at that as consistency, but it's more than that. So I break it down to be a little more actionable. Base code has a lot of code samples, which again, I think code speaks louder than words. So that's hard to talk about on a podcast. Definitely check out base code to kind of see those. But there's three groups that I kind of break it into. There's syntactic symmetry. So symmetry in syntax. Yeah. There's semantic symmetry. So kind of like the way in which you have your names or your methods. And then finally, there's uh, systemic symmetry, which is probably to the heart of more of maybe what Beck was talking about in implementation patterns. But the point is that it lives in multiple layers of the code. So not only the syntax, but also, again, in how you use semantically the words and the, the function names and the method names and the object names, but then also how you outline your system. So maybe we can break those up and tackle one by one.
1: Okay. So syntactic symmetry is the first one, which I guess a lot of it comes down to formatting, which we've already talked about very early on. Sure. The idea that for braces in this particular position here, it should sort of close in a symmetrical place, is there anything more to it outside of just code formatting and following a coding standard and consistency?
0: There is. So I think the ready example, and again, probably for our audience as well, being mostly PHP or Laravel developers, but I think in any language, you can probably find an example of this asymmetrical type behavior. but. A lot of people, uh, specifically for PHP, even if maybe you don't write PHP, you've probably come across the bad design or PHP is kind of doing it wrong. And the ready examples people jump to is this whole needle haystack misordering between the functions.
1: Yeah, absolutely infuriating. <laughs> exactly.
0: So even as a PHP developer, we can admit it. If you're outside PHP, you point to it and you say, well, that's why the language sucks. But the point is, is that it lacks Symmetry, it's a very ready thing to spot when it exists, but also when it doesn't exist.
1: So just to clarify for anyone that's not uh, familiar with it, in PHP, you've got certain methods that are dealing with the same thing, so arrays or strings, and sometimes there'll be a parameter that's called a needle and some that's called a haystack, particularly when you're doing searching. And sometimes the arguments will be needle, then haystack, other times haystack, then needle. And there's examples of the same sort of behavior littered all over PHP, And it's just a quirk that you kind of learn and get used to, or you use abstractions that sit on top of it, but it is infuriating.
0: Yeah. I think the example I have in base code is there's array filter and array map. Both of these are array methods or functions that are available natively in PHP. And array filter is input callback, but array map is callback input. So these are very common, you know, filter map reduce type methods on collections and arrays in PHP, but... Even within the array function category, they don't even have symmetry there. So it's beyond just formatting. It's beyond just putting your braces on one line or always using post-increment versus pre-increment or whichever you decide. The point is is that there's symmetry. There's consistency there.
1: And just on the PHP topic, the other thing that they have, which is very unsymmetrical, is use of underscores in their method names separating words you'll have like string this and string that and sometimes it'll be str underscore sometimes it'll just be str and then straight into the next thing it's one of those things that even as a 15 year plus php developer i still kind of have to rely on my text editor to be like is that the one that has an underscore or not or have i messed up with the underscore again yeah
0: and i think that's exactly the point getting back to the heart of base code to the heart of all of these practices like it just makes you stop and think. And I don't want to, that ruins the flow, right? It ruins me being able to type on the keyboard. And even as a veteran PHP developer, I still guess like str underscore replace, but str two is all one. There's no underscore to your point. So it's just kind of like almost 20 years into PHP. I, it's like, I know it, but I second guess myself because of that asymmetrical syntax. And I think method naming probably starts to get a little bit into semantic symmetry. Syntax is literally the type of syntax you use to write your code, potentially into the order of parameters, but also the way in which you use operators. So like using the double ampersand for an and condition versus the literal and, A-N-D, you know? If you interchange those, it's just going to look weird and it's going to make you think sooner or later... Are they using the literal A and D and for a reason in this place versus that? Like, it's just going to kind of confuse you as a reader.
1: Yeah, it's pretty jarring when you come across those sort of inconsistencies. Even when like your coding standard allows you to do single line versus like multi-line for like arguments or arrays or something. If you've got two that are really close together and you are kind of, one's one way and one's another way, that's probably another case where it might throw you off. Maybe not so much, but it's the same sort of idea. Yeah
0: there are ways to satisfy a coding standard, which isn't necessarily consistent across the board. So this is that extra level, right? Yeah. Let's move on to semantic symmetry.
1: Sounds good. All right.
0: The thing I talk about in base code here is is—is it does get a little bit more into the naming. So I think the string example you gave could arguably sem- semantic symmetry. Yeah. But I think what I really like with semantic symmetry is this gets a little bit more into naming as far as like things like... Polar opposites. So, like when you have some method names and one's called like first, and then you have the opposite of the first method and you call it end, it's fine, but it's just a little bit asymmetrical compared to something like first and last. Yeah. Or beginning and end or stop and start.
1: Connect, disconnect. <laughs> exactly.
0: These things are the things that are the true opposites or, you know, what I'm calling polar opposites. Yeah when you nail those just right, it gives you that last bit of elegance in the code, that last bit of readability. And that's, that's what I'm labeling. That's what Kent Beck is labeling as symmetry.
1: So just on that topic, can I ask you what you think about start and end? Because I see start and end often used, particularly with a start date or an end date. But to me, it's start and finish, beginning and end.
0: Yeah, I think at first, like start and end, again, when you hear it, it's like, what's the big deal? But once you said beginning and end, like that rang true as polar opposites, right? There's a bit of subjectivity to it, sure. And, and there might be some, some small bits of argument. But again, the point is, is if it's everywhere in the code that way, at that point, it is kind of just dictated to be. This is what the opposite is.
1: Yeah. To me, with good code, you have the ability to make an educated guess about the API and be correct about it, you know, 90% of the time. So if you've seen connect you somewhere you should be able to intuitively say oh then there'll be a disconnect method when i want to disconnect and not find oh it's actually called unhook or something along these lines
0: or remove or something generic yeah and again we talked about some aspects of this and naming but it's taking it that much farther again there's nothing wrong with start and end but there may be a more symmetrical version of those names that can be paired together that gives you just that last bit of elegance, that last bit of code readability. And this is hard. This is this is completely hard. And again, it's going to take you experience and time to really nail these. But when you find them, stick with them. Again, be consistent. Use it the same way everywhere it appears in the code. And take it to the next project too, you know. And now it's just, honestly, at that point, it's just one less thing to worry about. Yeah. You know, as a tangent, a lot of people ask me like, how do you build this so fast? Gosh, you're kicking out stuff all the time. Like there've been people that have said this to me over the years enough to where it made me think about it. And I think this is one of those reasons is because I kind of remember these and consider that a solved problem. And so just by years of experience, I just happen to have maybe 15 or 20 more things that I've kind of just checked off and have in my like developer toolbox. I don't need to (laughs) think about this name for 25 minutes. I just am 25 minutes more productive because of that.
1: Yeah. And I think people forget how long it can take for naming things correctly and all these these sorts of practices. They do add up. So yeah, when you can just reach for a concept you've used a hundred times before because you're using it consistently, then yeah, like you say, you get that much faster.
0: Yeah. It's not necessarily that I'm quote unquote a better coder. It's just like any other trade. If you've done something a dozen more times than someone else, you're Gonna know a couple tricks, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Anyways,
0: there's one more aspect of uh, semantics beyond just the names that goes a little bit deeper that maybe some devs might miss out on. And again, I talk about it a little bit more in base code, but at a high level, it's also tone. So there's kind of a tone that your code could have. And again, it doesn't matter if it's a positive or negative tone, just make sure that you're consistent. So if you have a bunch of conditions and the first condition that you're checking is a negation and the second condition's a positive, and the third one's like, if not is disabled, These just become difficult things to read and you can never get this flow because those conditions don't have symmetry, right? They're not all either in a positive or they're not all in a negative tone. Yeah, And that gets a little bit of a mix into syntax because you're using the not operator in some cases. But it's also about semantics, the way you name things. Again, if you name something like is disabled, some people might find that really confusing. Others might find it super readable. It's the whole reason why if and unless exists in some languages and sometimes they don't.
1: Yeah, it does come down to, I think, where you're using it and when you're switching between the positive and the negative. Sure. If, you, if you're using a lot of things together, it's almost like a checklist, you know? You're kind of like, are the time circuits engaged? Is the flux capacitor on? Are we going 88 miles per hour? Yeah. It's not, there's some negatives and some positives and yeah. But as like a
0: real world checklist, like if you're getting ready to go on vacation, you're going to say, did we load the car? Did we get this? Did we get that? Right. It's going to have a very symmetrical, did we, and then some kind of affirmation. Yeah. You're not going to say something like, did we not unlock the door?
1: <laughs> yeah. <Yo>. So. <laughs> I mean, that's a double negative, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: I guess technically it's not a double negative, like from a grammar
1: uh, true. Yeah. Yeah. True.
0: But logically, yes, it is a double negative, and that's the point. Like yeah. you don't want to have, not only on a on a smaller scale like that, but you also just don't want to have this one checklist item in the larger list that just makes you slow down and think, uh, "Wait, what?" What'd you just ask?
1: Yeah, and sometimes people think that they can't do this with their logic because their logic is based on the negative condition. But sometimes it's just a case of wording things better and then you can have your logic in that condition.
0: Yeah, generally speaking, I'll take a stance on the tone and I just think this is just a human thing. A positive tone typically reads better. Yeah. So when it comes to a scenario of if something is disabled or it is enabled, I would typically choose is enabled Because I think not only is it a positive tone, but that's, again, maybe a bit more natural and kind of just like this happy <laughs> world.
1: So on that point, then, if you had some code that you cared about the disabled state, not the enabled state, mm-hmm. would you say if not is enabled to keep the positive method or?
0: I think that's a fair point. I was only saying that positive tone can just read a little softer, right, just naturally. Yeah. But to your question, though, again, symmetry is not telling us to use one or the other per se. It's just saying be consistent. Now, I think maybe a sub-question of what you're asking is if you were in a system where disabled was somehow more common or somehow a, a prioritized state or a default state, well then maybe it does make sense to have the is disabled method in that particular project so symmetry can be almost a project to project thing as well it doesn't have to be everything everywhere must be it's not a universal maxim per se like for every project yeah so in that particular project if disabled is the priority and that's the way it reads most often then again just be consistent with is disabled
1: yeah i mean i'm more thinking about like say it's a one off in your code base you need to do you need to take some action when something's disabled but not when it's enabled. So you actually need to check whether it's not enabled or check whether it's disabled.
0: I think I stand by the positive tone, just personally as a developer, I would rather read in that one-off scenario is not enabled than have to read a bunch of other places is not disabled.
1: Yeah, I agree. And there might be a case for having both methods and is enabled and is disabled kind of method, And you use whichever one is the condition you're checking at the time. If you care whether it's enabled, you can say if is enabled. If you care whether it's disabled, you can say if is disabled. Sure. And as long as you're using enabled and disabled and not on and disabled or something, then you've still got that symmetry in that aspect.
0: Yes. And that's even just the layering of symmetry upon symmetry, right? And that's why this is one of those practices that takes time and it varies potentially from code base to code base and even sometimes developer to developers. Some developers, again, some languages, using unless is very common. I know sometimes when I write Ruby, I totally embrace unless more so than I would in another language, even when it is an available condition. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I know PHP doesn't have it. But I know Laravel has it in its blade templating engine, yeah. and a lot of the times in certain projects, I'll use them less, a lot, in those templates.
1: Yeah, it can read nicer than if not. Especially
0: to the point of semantics, when you have a lot of conditions that are the negatives, because in a way you've phrased it like a, a positively readable way.
1: Yeah, agreed.
0: So let's jump into the final layer, which I talk about, is systemic symmetry. And this deals probably a little bit more with abstractions and the architecture of a system and just being consistent. And so really what I'm probably getting at here is don't play like design pattern bingo in your code base. Like if you're using a very specific pattern in your code base, stick with it. And and that way, even if a developer comes or a reader comes into your code base and they're not familiar with it, at least when they spend the time to learn it now they're hitting the ground running with the understanding that oh okay i see how you're using this pattern now so if you're using you know active record or whatever yeah maybe i don't know what active record it is when i first jump into your project but once i see it used more and more and more now it's great and i don't have to worry that when i go to the next data layer i'm i'm going to see something else
1: yeah i know what you mean actually and that's particularly hard i think with legacy code bases sure where there's almost like this layering like when they take a a core sample of the earth and you can see all these different layers of history (laughs) and at this layer you've got this style and then later on it was this style and that can be pretty jarring and and hard to work with but at the same time it's sometimes hard for developers when they're like we need to modernize things and we don't want to use these old potentially even dangerous patterns anymore.
0: Yeah. No, and it totally happens. And I think to combat something like that takes diligence. It's it's probably beyond symmetry then. But I think it's always about making small changes kind of as you encounter them and and being nimble And, and you know we're starting to get into borderline you know agile methodologies here but i am a believer in those and i understand in reality it's going to be difficult as you're evolving an old code base to say oh you know what we're going to use let's just say we're going to use the repository pattern or something kind of sticking with these data patterns instead of this other pattern we were using before i completely understand you're not going to go in and rewrite every single one of the old ones but you have to at least put it on the list that we're we're pushing in that direction. And so when you are getting those questions from a new developer or someone else on the team, hey, uh, what are we using here? Are we using a repository? Or are we using this other thing? You gotta say, we're using this project, let's fix that. You gotta take those opportunities because yeah. I think what happens to a lot of those large projects is that yes, in reality it takes a longer time to turn that ship. But at the same time they're also just saying yeah that's the old way we used to do it whatever and they're not being accountable they're not being proactive to try to take those opportunities those small opportunities to just change one at a time and i guarantee you, you'll get there it's like how do you move a mountain you know it's one stone at a time
1: yeah and i think those are those scenarios as well where it really helps to have some developer documentation and like company style guides where you can put these things down. Because like a linter is not going to pick up these sorts of things. Yeah. This relies on humans picking it up. And if you've got a new coder coming in, you kind of need something written down where they can refer to. And even if it refers to the other ways things have been done in the past, so there's at least a reference to know when you're working here, it's like this. and Sure. It's kind of acknowledging the problem. Yeah,
0: exactly. A reference and, and exactly the acknowledging that we are moving this direction now. This was old. This is new help us get there. Yeah. And then just to close it up, I I think that's kind of the thing about all of these base code practices is that it's, it's about being diligent. These things can be overlooked as fundamental or easy or yeah, yeah, yeah. I already do those and they can get dismissed and kind of brushed off to the side and, and ignored, but I guarantee you beyond just symmetry. If you look at any piece of code that you find elegant or interesting or good, even you'll find that these practices exist within it. Like I said before, I took a lot of time distilling these down, you know, I had dozens of them at first, and and I really distilled them down into these ten. And uh, symmetries is a great closing example. To that point in base code, this is probably the largest closing example of all the chapters. Part of it is a YouTube video, so we'll make sure to link that in the show notes, but if you really enjoyed Symmetry, and of course, since this, this is the last episode, if you enjoyed any of the practices, jump out to BaseCodeFieldGuide.com and uh, take a look at some of the different kits that you can buy, because there's so much more than the book in some of these kits. You know, there's videos where I go through code, QA sessions where you can ask questions directly. There's all sorts of fun things that are included.
1: Yeah. And as a customer, as we mentioned early on, I still refer to the book quite a bit when I'm struggling with a certain aspect in the code. So yeah, I highly recommend it.
0: That's awesome. I mean, that, that's really what it's about for me. I mean, I really wanted it to be something that was maybe a, a quicker reference, and hence the field guide. Because again, as I've admitted and pointed to in the book, I mean, there's dozens of other books that all, I mean, this comes from 20 years of me being a programmer, and again, distilling them down into something shorter and, and actionable. So I'm glad to hear you say that you come back to it. That's also why I wanted to do like a team effort on this mini series. So i I'm really hoping people enjoyed beyond just the book, but enjoyed the podcast. Like I said, I wanted these to be out there, you know, and not necessarily be something salesy where you have to go buy the book. Like I, I want people to be knowledgeable. And if you want to go do the research yourself and read these other references and consume those, that's awesome. Again, I've tried to pack them down into these really actionable things. So
1: yeah, Basecode did a good job of breaking them down into the actual concept itself. And then later on, when you go and read it again, these little snippets actually give you that little jolt of memory that brings the entire concept back to life inside your head it serves as a as a reference and reminder for people but also as an introduction to people who aren't familiar with it
0: yeah so i I do hope that base code helps give you a quick dose of that experience so you don't have to spend you know 20 years programming and uh, read a dozen of these other 400 page books just to have that understanding so but uh, just to finish everything off here, this is the last episode. This was the last practice ended on symmetry. So this was kind of the big one here that ties them all together and gives the code that last bit of readability and less complexity. But as far as the podcast goes in general, like we hope to maybe cover another topic. Probably take just a little bit of time off with these conferences next week. Uh, but to that point, if you are at one of these conferences, you're a listener, You, you know, you're listening to it while you're traveling there or whatever, come up. Talk to me, talk to Jess, say hi. Yeah, talk to me. Tell us Tell us what you liked, because like I said, we're kind of on the fence about picking another topic and, and doing a few more. But if nothing else, I would really like to do that listener questions kind of thing. So again, I know that might be a little bit difficult with code, but even if we did a video version or something, like I think it could be fun. So if you're at all interested in that, please let us know. Yeah,
1: or even just come say hi and keep me company in a strange city. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, well... I will see you there and I'll say hi to you.
1: Yep. Cool. Good.
0: <laughs> but right now I will say bye to you.
1: Yes. Yeah. Until we see each other in person. <laughs>
0: yeah. Next week.
1: Exciting stuff. All right. Well, this has been awesome. A Great, great fun. Great series. Great book. I've loved it.
0: Cool. Me too. It was fun. So, all right. Well, we'll see. And I will see you next week.
1: All right. See ya. See ya. Show notes for this episode can be found at basecodefieldguide.com slash 10.